Hello, everyone, and welcome to an episode of Small Talks. I am small, and I'm going to be doing an interesting episode today. I uh, know it's been a long time since I put out anything for the podcast, and that's just because I ended up getting distracted by school and everything like that, and then COVID happened, and just, yeah, just, it's been a rough time trying to get stuff out for the podcast, but I'm going to try to be back, and I thought I would do an episode that I've been planning on doing for a while. I will be reading from this book called The Little Book of Answers by Doug Lennox. It's basically a compilation of a bunch of, like, little trivia facts and everything about, like, why we do certain things or say certain things. Um, So what I've done is I've gone ahead and used a random number generator for each uh, section of the book. So there's people and places, pop culture, customs, sports and leisure, politics and history, war and military, holidays, animals, beliefs and superstitions, words, expressions, and trivia. So what I'm going to do is I've uh, used a random number generator for each section and then I'm going to go ahead and just read one of the little facts out of each section. Uh, just because I thought it would be a fun little video just to have some random trivia and I know this is the kind of stuff that sticks in my head so I don't know if it's the kind of stuff that sticks in your head. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started with people and places. So for this one I landed on page 18. Um, and I'm gonna go with, why do we say, when in Rome, do as the Romans do? If you wish to gain esteem and avoid grief, then it's wise to respect the customs of the majority within any culture you may find yourself. When St. Ambrose was sent on a mission to Rome by St. Augustine, he was concerned about which holiday to observe since the Romans fasted on a different day than was his custom. St. Augustine's wise advice is still with us. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. So these are really, really short little blurbs, and I just thought it would be cute to do like a little episode. I know my episodes are pretty short anyway, so we'll go on to the next section. So that was people and places. Um, The next section is going to be pop culture, which is my favorite. I landed on page 36. Um, let's go with who was Mona Lisa in Da Vinci's famous masterpiece. Although it's known as the Mona Lisa, Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting was originally titled La Gioconda. Painted on wood, it's a portrait of Lisa Gherardini. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. The wife of a Florentine merchant. X-rays reveal that Leonardo sketched three different poses before settling on the final design. The painting of Lisa has no eyebrows because it was the fashion of the time for women to shave them off. Alright, I actually didn't know that. That's kind of interesting. Um, I didn't know people actually knew who she was. I always thought that was kind of a uh, mystery to most, but there you go. If you didn't know that, there you go. Now you got a nice little knowledge tidbit to share. All right, and then the next one is going to be customs. I landed on page 50 with the random number generator. So we're going to go with where did the two-finger peace sign come from? The gesture of two fingers spread and raised in peace, popularized in the 1960s, is a physical interpretation of the peace symbol as inverted or upside-down Y within a circle, which was designed in 1958 by members of the anti- Anti-Nuclear Direct Action Committee. 
The inverted Y is a combination of the maritime semaphore signals for N and D, which stood for nuclear disarmament. All right, I that's another one I didn't know. See, I, I like this book a lot. I actually haven't read all the way through it, though, because I wanted to kind of share with you as I learned, and I like learning, like, little tidbits like this. They're kind of fun. So we'll move on to sports and leisure. Um, for this one, we landed on page 69. Uh, so we're gonna go with why when someone losing begins to win, do we say he's turned the tables? The phrase to turn the tables is a chess term dating from 1634 that describes a sudden recovery by a losing player. The switch in position of each side's pieces makes it look as though the losing player had physically turned the table on his opponent to take over the winning side of the board. Incidentally, it's impossible to successfully double the number of coins on each square of a chessboard. By the time you finish, you would need 18 quintillion coins more than all that have ever been minted. All right. Did not know that either. That's kind of fascinating. I will never think of that office uh, quote in the same way now. Um, oh, how the turn tables. <laughs> All right, so the next one is going to be uh, politics and history. Uh, for this one, we landed on page 77. Um, let's go with where did the phrase spin doctor come from? The term spin doctor first appeared in the New York Times during Ronald Reagan's campaign for re-election in 1984. Spin is the twist given a baseball twist given a baseball by a pitcher throwing a curveball to deceive the batter, while a doctor is someone who fixes a problem. Therefore, a spin doctor is someone who, faced with a political problem, solves it by putting a twist on the information to bend the story to his or her own advantage. I actually think I have heard, like, the origin, well, not the origin of that, but I, I think I always knew what, like, a spin doctor kind of was supposed to be, so now it's confirmed. That makes sense. Um, so the next one... We're going to go more and military. For this one, we landed on page 96. Uh, why is a secret enemy amongst us referred to as a fifth column? Any secret force within an enemy's midst during wartime is called a fifth column. The phrase comes from the Spanish Civil War when the general leading the 1936 siege of Madrid with four columns of in infantry was asked if four were enough. He replied that he had a fifth column hiding inside the city. Since then, a fifth column has meant a secret organized force amongst the enemy or ourselves. Alright, so I don't know anything about military history, so that's completely new to me, which is kind of cool. So, interesting little fact there. Next page is going to be 104. Um, let's go with... How, oh, this is holidays, by the way. How did Valentine become the patron saint of lovers? In 27 AD, the mad Roman emperor Claudius II outlawed marriage because he believed married men made for bad soldiers. Ignoring the emperor, Bishop Valentine continued to marry young lovers in secret until his disobedience was discovered and he was sentenced to death. As legend has it, he fell in love with the jailer's blind daughter, and through a miracle he restored her sight. On his way to execution, he left her a farewell, noting, 
no, ending in from your Valentine. Okay, so I heard, I've heard different, like, versions of that. Um, one of the other versions I've heard is that, um, people brought him little notes and cards and stuff while he was in jail to thank them for still marrying them and everything. So, I'm not sure exactly how true that is, but I feel like a lot of the facts in this book and stuff in this book have been pretty spot on. So, yeah, I, I could see that being a little more true. Um, yeah, that's interesting, though. I, I, I've heard that before, but, like, different versions of it. So, that's kind of cool. Uh, the next one is going to be Animals. And for this one, we were on page 116. Why is an innocent person who takes the blame for others called a scapegoat? The term scapegoat or a scapegoat entered the English language with William Tyndale's translation of the Hebrew Bible in 1525. Under the law of Moses, the Yom, Moses, the Yom Kippur ritual of atonement involved two goats. One was sacrificed to the Lord, while all of the sins of the people were transferred to the other. The scapegoat was then led into the wilderness, taking all the sins of the Israelites with it. Alright, so that's kind of interesting. I, I think I've heard something like that before, but that's an interesting term. Alright, and the next one is going to be Beliefs and Superstitions, page 128. Um, let's go with, why is it considered bad luck to walk under a ladder? This suspicion comes from the idea that many early cultures considered a triangle to be, sac be a sacred symbol of life. For Christians, excuse me, the triangle represents the Holy Trinity. A ladder against a wall forms a triangle with the ground, and so to walk beneath it would be to disrupt a sanctified, a sanctified space and risk divine wrath even earlier. Christians considered the ladder resting against a wall to represent the ladder that rested against the cross during the crucifixion, and therefore evil. For this reason, condemned criminals were forced to walk under the gallows ladder, the, in, the entryway to eternal darkness. The executioner always walked around, around it to position the noose. Alright, I actually didn't know that. That's pretty interesting. Um, a lot of these are, they come from kind of like a biblical place, which is kind of cool. Um, it's interesting to see how much religion influences a lot of things in our lives that we don't even really think about. Uh, okay, so the next one is going to be words. For this one, we're on page 144. Uh, why is a select roast of beef called a sirloin? Legend has it that in 1617, during dinner and after a few goblets of wine, King James I of England suddenly stood and drew his sword and laying it across the entree, declared, Gentlemen, as I, as fond as I am of all of you, yet I have a still greater favorite, the loin of a good beef. Therefore, good beef roast, I knight thee sirloin, and proclaim that a double loin be known as a baron. Okay, so that one starts with legend has it, so I'm not entirely sure if that's true, but that's kind of fun. Like, it's an interesting <laughs> little uh, kind of thing. I, I want to know if that's true, though. I ha I'll have to look that up and... Um, Maybe bring it up in the next episode where I do stuff like this. Okay, so the next one is going to be expressions. Um, let's go with why do we put, so why do we say put a sock in it when we want someone to shut up? 
The admonition, put a sock in it, meaning keep quiet, comes from the time of the earliest wind-up phonographs, in which the sound emerged from a horn. These early acoustic record players didn't have electronic controls or any muting device to raise or lower the volume, and so the only way to soften their sound was to stuff something into the horn. A sock was the perfect size, and so to lower the volume user, so to lower the volume users would put a sock in it. All right, I didn't know that either. That's kind of a cool. I guess I never really thought about like how technology would have been so different that they didn't even have like a volume setting on that. So that's kind of interesting. All right, and the next one, the very last one, is going to be in the trivia section on page one eighty-eight. Um, let's go with. What English words rhyme with orange, purple, and silver? In the English language, there are only two words that end in gree, angry, and hungry. There are only three that end in seed, exceed, proceed, and succeed. While liquefy, putrefy, rarefy, and stupefy are the only four words that end in ify. As for orange, purple, and silver, poets and songwriters should stay away from them because there are no words in the entire English language that rhyme with them. Absolutely none. Okay, so I think most people would know that. Like, I, I know there are people who would, like, try to rhyme stuff with orange or purple. There's nothing that rhymes with silver? I never really thought about that, but that's interesting to know. Okay, well, that was the last section in the book. I'd like to do something like this again because I really enjoy this little book, and it would be my way of kind of reading through it and learning stuff and hopefully giving you some useless information that you'll probably never use for anything unless you're really, really into, like, going to trivia nights and stuff like that, which I would love to do. Um, so, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this little random episode that kind of popped up out of the blue out of months of not doing anything. Uh, I really would like to get back into doing this, though, because I really do enjoy it. It's kind of fun. It's um, an interesting little side hobby. I like doing a little bit of research on random subjects. So if you guys want me to keep going, let me know. If you have anything you'd like me to look up or research, you can always, um, let's see, this will go out on YouTube as well as like Spotify and stuff like that. So you can always comment. Um, I do uh, have a Twitter, but it's for my gaming YouTube channel. Um, it's at Small and Lovely, so you can always get a hold of me there. Uh, but yeah, I'd like some ideas on what to research and what to do. But until then, I guess I'll be saying bye for now. Thanks for listening, and I hope you guys have a good day.